welcome back to the Things Christians Want to Know podcast with Paul Anderson. Hi, Paul. Hi, Nate. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. Yeah. And I'm Nate Johnstone. Yep. And I'm excited. And I'm... Two things. Yeah. I am two things. (laughs) I'm also the (laughs) beloved child of God. I'm three things, at least. Okay, so... We've been talking about revival. We've talked about the history of revival in America. Um, by revival, I mean great moves of God. Don't attach too much baggage to that word if you don't like it. Um, there's been a lot of amazing things that have happened in our country. We've talked about some of those. We're going to talk about another one today. We've talked about some of our personal stories. Um, you have a lot of interactions in your family history and your personal history with uh, revival movements. I don't have a ton. In my heritage, um, the first Johnstones came to America. My, my ancestor came in, I think it was uh, 1692, so quite a long time ago. We're a very, very old family, and <laughs> they were uh, Quakers, which is why they left. They left under religious persecution because Quakers were charismatics before charismatics were a thing. Wow. They would... Instead of coming together to hear things people had written a long time ago about God, they got together and sat in silence and waited for God to speak. And he did. Mm. And the belief was that he spoke through all the people who were there, not just one person. It wasn't one white man in charge. It was uh, more of a brotherhood. And that's why governments didn't like them, because they, they were not very democratic. They were very strange, and they were pacifistic, militantly pacifistic, if there's such a thing. So they refused to fight in wars and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, especially in Scotland, you can, you can imagine a Scottish pacifist, like <laughs> there's no such thing. So they left and they went to America. Um, and that was very early in the Quaker movement. And I, I just found this out recently, a couple of years ago. Oh. So I did have ancestors who were part of the early Holy Spirit stuff. Mm. And then um, I think it was a generation, maybe two generations later, um, who followed John Wesley during his ministry and was part of that early on. Mm-hmm. Um, another, you know, revival leader from the first Great Awakening. So I have a little bit of that in my history, but unfortunately, somewhere along the way, people stopped going to church because mm-hmm. my parents were not raised Christians. Their parents were not raised Christians. I don't even think their parents were raised Christians. Mm. But my parents became Christians as adults, young Mm -hmm. adults, in the 70s, in a movement that was taking place all over the country. And I think in other places of the world, they're at least involved in missions in other places in the world. And it was called the Jesus People Movement. Mm -hmm. And at least that's how my parents referred to it. And it there was a pretty big presence in the Twin Cities, but I know it's, I think it started in your neck of the woods out in California, but it took place in many places. So since that's where my parents got saved, I feel like it's important to me and my history and my heritage. And so I would like you to tell me, what was that about? Yeah. The Jesus people. It's a cool name, I got to say. Yes, indeed. And it came on the heels of a Terrible, uh, terrible decade of American history. I talked about this a couple sessions ago, where you had the Kennedy assassination, you had uh, kids being encouraged by Timothy Leary from Harvard University to tune in, turn on, and drop out, and they were doing it and showing up at Haight-Ashbury and 
San Francisco, and then you had the Vietnam War that uh, took out 58,000 of ours and 817,000 of theirs. Mm. Uh, 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 war is destructive, and, and that uh, was one that America didn't know if it wanted to fight. There was ambivalence about it, and so when they returned, we lost more, sadly. So we had a lot of young people in protest and marching and militant, and we had lock-ins and lock-outs. We had, we had students who were locking in faculty and administration and locking them out, and uh, terrible unrest. Well, it had to be that parents and grandparents were crying out to God for their children. And God was hearing. And he answered in a powerful way, very close to my town, actually. Chuck Smith was the pastor of... uh, let me see, it was a four-square church in Costa Mesa. My dad's planted a church in Costa Mesa. And his wife, Kay Smith, urged him to open the door to guitar-toting, barefoot, pot-smoking hippies. Mm-hmm. And something It was his him, wife, huh? It was his wife. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Something in him said yes. The church at that point was about 65. They moved from Costa Mesa to Santa Ana, and they were kind of on the edge of town. And you probably didn't hear this song by Chuck Gerard, but uh, we all knew it. I've, in, heard, I've heard you sing it. In the day. Will you sing it for us? Please? I will gladly sing a few lines of it. Here goes. Little country church on the edge of town. Dootin' 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 doo-doo. People coming traveling from miles around for meeting and for Sunday school. And it's very plain to see it's not the way it used to be. Long hair, short hair, coats and ties. People want to praise the Lord. Looking past religion straight into the eyes. People want to praise the Lord. And it's very plain to see. It's not the way it used to be. Yay. Paul Anderson, ladies Yay. and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you. Thank if you'd you, like to you. purchase this on iTunes, you may do so. <laughs> yeah. So, music started changing in those days mm-hmm. as people were coming to this little country church on the edge of town. It grew from 65 to 25,000. <laughs> wow. And Lonnie Frisbee, you maybe heard that name. Somewhere along the line, he got off drugs and got a high on Jesus, came to Calvary Chapel. They found that he had an anointing for leading people to Jesus. He led thousands to the Lord. When he had altar call, people streamed forward. They started taking them down to Newport Beach. That was the church, That was the 
mm-hmm. beach that I swam in. And uh, my friend Ken Gullickson was a part of the Calvary Chapel staff, uh, part of that team. And it changed the way we did church. Church changed. We knew the the, the worship song, the, the praise songs that we knew were kumbaya, and it only takes a spark. And we mm-hmm. sang them at, at uh, both of which Both of which were okay at my Missouri Synod school, by the way. <laughs> Good. Glad. The only two. Well, they started doing worship sets before Chuck would get up and preach on end times. End times is a big thing in the Jesus People Revival. Two books were, were, were uh, really important in this season, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger by Ronald Sider and The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, uh, whom I knew from UCLA days. He's mm. the one that encouraged me to go to Dallas Seminary. So extended worship made its way into the life of the church because we didn't do extended worship up until that time. We had announcements and offering. One and, song and then something else and then one song. And, and choir. And then we had the organ uh, organ do the offertory, sometimes the piano. Now we had guitars. <laughs> Whoa. What? That was new. And that was a stretch. That was a stretch for a lot of people, including my mom, because these kids were coming up into the what we call the chancel. Lutherans yep. call it a chancel, the front area of the church. Where you make your first bow, for those of you who grew up <laughs> yes. traditionally. And you usually don't go inside unless you're the pastor uh-huh. inside. Uh, so for them to go up barefooted, uh, you know, my mom just looked the other way. It was hard. It was hard for mainliners to get a hang on this different way of doing worship, of having a set, like five songs before the the message. But Can I, can I ask a question there? Um, you mentioned it's hard on your mom. It was hard on others. But they but they did it. Um, I, I sometimes think about the church today, the church in yeah. the Twin Cities. Are we ready for the next move? If, especially in the Twin Cities, if next Sunday 40 Muslims showed up at your church, what would happen? Would people welcome them? Would they turn them away? Would they say, you can come, but first you have to confess Jesus? What would happen? Or would they just say, hey, thank you for coming. Have a seat. And afterwards, come have some food with us and love them. Because some of us would and some of us wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just wonder. And I I think back to Azusa Street and how some people jumped in and others did not. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was the same at the Jesus People Movement. Aren't these basically hippies, but they pretend to love Jesus? I thought we didn't like hippies. What's going on? Yeah. Right? Aren't they just bowing the knee to culture? That's what Christian leaders always say, right? You're You're just giving in to cultural sensitivity, playing their music, using their instruments. This is nuts. Um, But there were people in your church who said, you know, we might not be comfortable with all the stuff that's happening. It's not how we grew up. It's not how we would prefer it to be. But they gave up what they preferred for the sake of reaching out to other people who needed Jesus. Indeed. And that is what makes them heroes. 
in yes. my book. Yes. It's not that they were early adopters and now they're fine with it. You know, they weren't. They actually didn't like it, <laughs> at least no. not at first, based on what you're saying. But they, they, they gave up what they wanted for the sake of the gospel. And our, our, our youth group grew because of it. Yeah. Because my mom, my dad, they said yes to something that they were initially quite uncomfortable with. I, w- I would love churches today to hear that story and to hear that example, because I think especially a lot of older churches, more traditional churches with older folks, mm-hmm. they have the worship the way they like it. They have the church the way they like it. A time is going to come where they need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Are they going to keep it the way they like it? Or are they going to sacrifice like a parent for a child? Mm-hmm. Are they going to sacrifice what they like for the sake of the gospel? Picking up your cross sounds like maybe you don't always get what you like to me. Yes. When I read the New Testament, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like I don't always get what I like. Sometimes we have to let go of that. And the fact that your parents did that, the people in your church did that, I think to me that makes them heroes. That they said, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice this because these kids need Jesus. Mm-hmm. They they really need Jesus. And so I'll give up what I want. I'll give up my church. This yeah. isn't my church anymore. No, it's not. It's different. But God's reaching out to people, so praise God. I gave up. I sacrificed. Yeah. We all need to do that. And I look around today, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know mm. if some of these people will. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I want to be proven wrong. Yeah. I want to be proven wrong. I want to find 50 former Muslim families in that church who were loved into the kingdom of God because they said, yeah, we're in the middle of nowhere, small town, Midwest, but go ahead, come to our church. That'd be wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, teach us about these new foods that we think smell weird. And I want to see that because that's going to happen. Sure it is. It's really going to happen. I mean, that's what happens in these great move of gods. It's There's a suddenly. Study the suddenlies in the Bible. Mm -hmm. They're all amazing and unexpected. And they happen in small places and churches of 60. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. It's interesting, both Azusa Street and... uh, the little country church yeah. on the edge of town, both yeah. about 60 people, yeah. all of a sudden thousands and thousands. Yeah. But people jumped in, joined in with the move of God and what was happening, and those who were willing to sacrifice and jump in, God really moved, right? And he moved in your youth group, you said. In our youth group, uh, a young man who was a part of our youth group, Ken Gullickson, my dad, led him to the Lord. Mm-hmm. He went to Calvary Chapel and helped them with their movement, he eventually started the vineyard movement. Mm-hmm. And he had planted 11 vineyards when he saw that this was really growing. And he saw in John Wimber, a leader of a different brand, and that maybe he should turn it over to him, which he did. That's and a, so, uh, a lot of humility there. Oh my, a lot of humility. Ken, by the way, is seeking to write that history Mm. In this season. Ken, do it, please. We need need it. We're praying for you, Ken, that you will have strength. We pray for healing in your body so that you can finish this important book. So it was a a wonderful season. And, uh, you know, I, I told you in one of the last podcasts about the the Haight-Ashbury and the 100,000 that showed up there. Well, I'll tell you, more than 100,000 came to faith in Jesus, far more around the country Mm -hmm. and around the world. Including my parents. Yes, yes. What was happening 
in my area, Southern California, was happening around the country and around the world at different spots. And I'll tell you about one, uh, because I heard about this when I was at Luther Seminary in 1970. I heard about what was happening at Asbury College. And some students there were gathering together to pray, and they'd prayed for perhaps a year, maybe two years. I don't know how long they were praying. But on February 2nd, 1970, at 2 a.m. in the morning, they were holding hands, 17 of them, in a circle. And the student leader said, we can stop now. He's coming tomorrow. Hmm. So that's what they did. And the next morning, the administrator, he got up to speak. The president was away at Calgary on some assignment. And so the administrator, he was going to give a teaching, but instead he gave his testimony. And then he sat down. And a few students just spontaneously got up in response to that and shared their testimonies. The philosophy professor came down and he spoke to the administrator and he said, God is here. If you give an altar call, they will come. Hmm. And he gave an altar call. And kids flock forward. That's a intuitive philosophy professor. <laughs> oh my, what a word. So he the administrator called the president that night and didn't get him, so he left the message and he labeled it urgent. When the college president got the message, he wonders, because this was a season, and you wouldn't remember it because you're too young, but I remember it. It was a time when faculty members were getting locked in or locked out of their classes mm -hmm. or administrators of their building. And so this president's wondering, what in the world is this? What's happening in Asbury? Well, when he got through and he talked, it was after midnight. And the administrator said, just so you know, chapel's still going on. Mm. <laughs> Never stopped. <laughs> yeah. And uh, kids are giving their testimonies. And that's what often happens in revival. It happened powerfully in the East African revival, where, where testimony, confession, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship, confessing of sins. And so that's what was happening at Asbury. Students were confessing their sins. There was so much of a powerful presence of God that they closed down school. You don't do that in colleges. Yeah. They closed it down for three weeks. And during that time and following, they were sending out young people around the country in teams to share about revival. I heard about it. And at one of those, they were at a church, I think in the South, maybe in Texas, and the pastor was visibly nervous uh, because they'd shown up and they could tell that. And so they said, you know, we, we don't have to share anything. And uh, we did our Again, part. humility. Yes, folks. yes. And he said, well, take three minutes each. So they did. And they honored the time. And then they sat down. And the pastor breathed a sigh of relief because that was done. <laughs> he could get on with the regular, you know, by the, by the bulletin, right. play by play. And so the quartet got up to sing, and before they started, the bass pointed at one of the guys, and he said, I need what he's got. 
That's all it took. Mm. That's all it took. Revival broke out in that church. When, when God's Spirit is moving, if people are willing to respond, He will do the rest. Mm-hmm. He, it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction. I remember, I didn't know that as a young pastor. Mm. Uh, I, didn't know, I thought I was to convict them, and so I would right. preach to, to, try to try to make <laughs> them feel nervous or, uh, oh, that was a great sermon, Pastor. You really wiped me out today, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, I'm very thankful that the Scripture says, when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit can do it. He did it in Nineveh. Think of that. This yeah. godless place that didn't know about God but knew about idols, and uh, the Holy Spirit convicted them down to the person. Yeah. And we will meet them in heaven because they came under conviction and they responded properly to God. So that gives me hope for the revival, that if we do our part, God will do his part. Our part is to talk to God about people and to talk to people about God. God's part is to bring down the, the, to bring the Holy Spirit and to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment so that they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. And Nate, you believe it, and I believe it. It's mm-hmm. imminent. It's any day now. It's going to happen in the Twin Cities. It's going to turn this city upside down. It's going to turn Minnesota right side up, and it's going to touch the nation. And I believe it's going to touch the nation. So I'm praying for one billion. Yeah, that's, I agree. I've been praying for a while for a billion people. And... Wow. Some other things as well. And um, we can get into that more um, in the future. I, I, we're from, from this series, we're going to sidestep transition straight into a series on revival in Scripture. Good. And what it looks like. You mentioned Nineveh. We've talked about John the Baptist, obviously yeah. Jesus. But we're going to look at some of those instances. Um, there's also some prophetic words in Scripture that are that are very relevant to to revival and what we're talking about. I want to do more of a Bible study series. We've, we've talked about stories and history. Mm-hmm. I want to look at Scripture next as well as then get a little further into, so what for us? What do we do now? What is our response? I mean, you're convicted that... Revival is happening. That's a done deal because God told you. I'm convicted that it's coming. It's a done deal because God told me. But for those who haven't had the Lord say, this is going to happen, you need to get ready. Um, how can we encourage them? What should they be doing to to prepare so that um, when, the, when the, the clock strikes, however you want to put it, when the last drop hits the bowl so that it flips over and dumps down all over us from heaven they'll be ready to respond to that. And those are some of the things I'd like to look at and maybe discuss. Yeah, I'd explore. like to as well. Yeah. I said that in my falsetto voice. That was kind of nice, wasn't That's it? okay. <clears throat> I'll tell you, uh, when you see extraordinary need, it calls for extraordinary prayer. I agree. And that brings extraordinary results. Mm-hmm. And... My, our nation is divided, a lot of turmoil, a lot of unrest. I'd call this a time of extraordinary need. Yep. And I would urge our people who are listening 
to then turn that into extraordinary prayer. Mm-hmm. Because you and I, Nate, we know it's going to bring extraordinary results. We're going to see God's hand move in mighty ways. So, Father, that's our concern and it's our hope that you will do mighty things in answer to your people crying out to you. We think of the widow who cried to an unrighteous judge and she she got through. And we're crying out to a loving, merciful Father. And so we're trusting in you to bring powerful revival in our day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, come back next week. We're going to be diving into Scripture and making time to discuss some of this stuff. And we might not agree about everything. I don't know. Wow. That We're going to have to just throw it out there and and people can land where they may. Okay. So God bless you till next week. And if you have questions, yes, please email us. us. Please do. We would love to discuss it with you. Yeah. That is it for this episode of things. Christians want to know if you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday. So tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.